0: so there's this trend online that keeps going viral where people are pranking innocent bystanders right they just do something that seems to be funny just to get a reaction out of folks and the camera is a far distance off and one of these videos kept following, this, following me this week. And by following me, I mean I kept watching it because it was so funny to me. Um, and so I want us to take a look at this video in a second, and I want you to identify and pinpoint where this woman is from. Let's take a look at this video real quick. Oh! What's the matter? Huh? Hello? What's the problem? Oh Lord, I don't see I can have the fight today. Listen, I can spot my people anywhere, you know. I I can hear my people a mile away when we're in foreign, right? Like you you just know, you just have this sense like that's my people, I hear them, right? And I think we need to find out who this woman is and recognize her for the 50-year celebration for her contribution to Bahamian society. I just love that so much. That, that video just makes me laugh so much. And these people who are doing these pranks, by the way, they're about to get a rude awakening very quick because you're about to meet the wrong person someday who ain't into no foolishness, right, or on any good day. I love like this polite aggression that we have. I probably shouldn't like it as much. Um, but but there's something amazing about just knowing like yeah, that's a behavior, that's how we react to things. Right? We just ready and we ready to react in certain ways. And that thing could have gone left very fast, but she said, you know what, Lord, I know I I know I trying to fight today, but let me hold back on this, right? This is what our series is about: reactions, right? How our actions rarely tell the whole story, but our reactions certainly do, right? They reflect our values, they reflect our fears, and they reflect the way that we see our faith. Reactions speak louder than words. And today, um, I want to talk specifically about this idea of overreacting and over-underreacting, and I'll get to that in a second. This series is all about self-control and learning to live in the midst of conflict, that if we can control our reactions to things and shift the way that we react, that people will begin to see God living in our lives, right? So overreaction. An overreaction is when we go overboard, even though we might be right. Yeah. We, we go, we say, see, I told you so, right? And we rub it in their face or we blow up and we make a situation more than it is, even though we might be right in certain instances, when we think about parents, right, when they get upset with their kids because their child slammed the door and say, okay, you want slam door? Come. Let me get this hammer let me take these hinges off these doors. Since you want slam door around here, okay, no more door to slam, right? A little bit of an overreaction because you probably don't know how to take off a door properly, so you can put it back on properly, but you're trying to prove a point, right? Overreacting. Then we have this idea that Andy Stanley uh, produces, this over-underreaction. Right? So he says this An over under reaction is an unexpected, counterintuitive, and remarkable reaction to disappointment, being mistreated, loss, rejection, unmet expectations, betrayal, or criticism. It's a reaction that surprises people. I'll read that one more time so we can get this full idea of it. An over under reaction. Is an, under, is an unexpected, counterintuitive, and remarkable reaction to disappointment, being mistreated, loss, rejection, unmet expectations, betrayal, or criticism. It's a reaction that surprises people. So it's not just an underreaction, right? Like you, you don't react as much as you would want to. It's not just that, because you, that may be warranted to react, but you kind of hold back a little bit. This idea of over-underreacting, right, is you go above and beyond to not give the full brunt of what you want to give, <laughs> right? You go to the other extreme and you say, you know what? I'm just not even going to touch that. I'm going to approach this in a graceful way, even though I'm in the right to want to react. Now, Jesus exemplified this idea of over-underreaction Because to follow Jesus is to do this. This is one of his primary teachings. And this is how he taught us to live in this world with one another. And so Pastor Matthew last week started the series by looking at this text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 to 47. Jesus says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So here, Jesus and Pastor Matthew, we talked also about turning the other cheek. When Jesus tells us if someone hits us on one side, we turn the other side, right? Jesus is not saying here that we ought to endure abuse or cycles of abuse, right? Because that's a whole different conversation. Because the Jesus that we serve is the one who seeks to liberate us from those kinds of abuse and injustice. But what he is saying here is that in our relationships with one another, we have a propensity to seek revenge, don't we? We, we look for ways to get back at one another. I, I, I wish they would come to my desk and talk some foolishness. I'm waiting for them, right? We, we gear it up. We ready to go, right? Thinking about that video, I'm going to take a little detour real quick. I was, um, when I was a youth minister a few years ago, you know, that same thing we do, Bahamians, hi, hello, trying to get people's attention, Right? I said this to a bunch of kids who would just not pipe down, and they all waved at me after I said that, which only made me more upset, right? It's very frustrating to have that loss in translation moment, for what it's worth. So Jesus here is teaching us to be marked by a different type of reaction to the world, right? To not react in the way that is instinctive to us or the way that the world tells us that we should react to things. So I want to look at my primary text today from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56, and break open this theme a little bit more of over-underreacting and the way that Jesus teaches us to do this. So Luke chapter 9, 51 to 56. It said, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. I want to take a closer look at this passage and walk through it again. And I want us to see ourselves not as the Samaritan people in this story, right? I, I, I don't want us to even see ourselves as Jesus trying to rebuke people who are saying wrong. I want us to see ourselves as James and John. I want us to revisit this through these um, three components that Andy Stanley talks about, the unexpected, counterintuitive, remarkable reactions, right? So the unexpected. So the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, what you mean, you, you, you don't want us to rain down no fire and brimstone on these people? They deserve that, right? And, and they're saying this because there was a context in the Old Testament where Elijah and other prophets would call down fire and, and God would deliver God's people in these grandiose ways. And the disciples are like, yeah, we want some of that, right? We, we want to do that. And instead, Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what we're trying to do here, And so for us, I think it's kind of saying, well, what do you mean, Jesus, I can't get my own way? What do you mean I can't bully people into submission? Why not? And Jesus is saying, because that's not the way of love. Love is not coercive. Love is not based in fear. You You cannot start a mission of love this way. So this was very unexpected for them because they were thinking, Jesus is a good rabbi. He's a, he's a good follower of God. Maybe he will follow this example of the prophets of past to wipe out his enemies. Jesus says, no, I, I come with a different way. I, I have turned swords into plowshares. The, the, these weapons of this world, they can't help us to accomplish what God has sent me to do. And so now we move to this counterintuitive part of Jesus's mission, right? So the disciples say, well, Jesus, why are you rebuking us? Rebuke the Samaritans, they're the ones who get in our way. They are the ones who are stopping your mission, stopping the goals, the things that we have to achieve. And I feel like for us, sometimes we say, well, God, how am I the problem? It ain't me, it's them. It's never me, (laughs) right? God, it's, it's me, God. How could it be me? Look at what they're doing. And I think sometimes we even pray for people's downfall or we pray for God to change them when really we should be praying for God to open our eyes to live and be channels of grace in the world. That maybe sometimes we have to take a look in the mirror and say, maybe God, there's something I need to crack open here. Maybe there are some places that I need to mend in my life. What, what is it, God, about me that wants me to destroy people that oppose me? So that's counterintuitive because the way we want to live and the way we want to work is saying, listen, just get these people out of my way. Let somebody else, it's somebody else's problem. They are the problem. But then we get to this remarkable aspect, right, this remarkable response. So the disciples say, so we just can go to another town. We ain't going to deal with this. We, we just gonna let the Samaritans be how they be and we ain't going to say nothing, right? We can just let them get one over us. And Jesus said, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what we're going to do. Because early in Luke chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus teaches them this. Wherever they do not welcome you as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is saying to them, listen, when you leave that town, if they don't receive you, don't let that bother you. Shake it off and move on. Don't worry about what they did to you or or what you hope to have done there. Move on. There's more to do. Shake the dust off. Don't carry those things with you. Don't carry that baggage with you wherever you go next. And so I think for us, God is saying to us, um, and we may ask a question, so Jesus, um, you really meant what you said when you taught us these things then, to forgive and to move on and to have grace and to have mercy. You, You really meant these things. I have to do this now. Because when we experience this grace of God and we begin to share it with the world, people begin to see that there's something different about the way that we move. There's something different about the way that they talk about this God than, the, than I've heard it before. There's something different about the way that they carry themselves in the name of God. See, when we follow Jesus, we follow the one who didn't just talk about this life of over-underreacting, it was a core part of who Jesus was. This was his whole makeup and his identity. Up until that point, they were waiting for a Messiah to come on a big shiny horse with weapons and to just slay all of their enemies. And Jesus comes with a whole, the complete antithesis of what they wanted. This is who Jesus was. His way was a way of peace, a way of love, a way of mercy and of grace. And so talking about this passage in Luke, one of these theologians, David J. Los says this, this emphasis on God's all-encompassing love is highlighted in these passages by the rejection of violence against the Samaritans. It is not simply contrary to Jesus' vision, but incompatible with his very identity and mission. It cannot stand in the way of Jesus. That There's no room for this attitude that we ought to get people out of the way who don't agree with us, to people who are trying to stop us. Because God said, if God before you, who can be against you? That's something I'm going to talk about next week. I, I really feel that deeply in my soul, that the disciples are really caught up in the approval of people more so than the approval of God. And they got sidetracked for a second, and Jesus had to bring them back into alignment and rebuke them and said, listen, there's more for us to do you can't see it right now, but this thing is going to span beyond your moment and beyond your place where you are right now. And when we see the writer of 1 Peter testifying to the life of Jesus, we begin to see this idea of Jesus un- over-underreacting, going above and beyond to not react to certain things, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, talking about when Jesus goes to the cross. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus didn't feel this need to have to defend himself or God because he knew who God was and he knew what the power that God actually had. And speaking of power, when he went before Pilate, There's this conversation of power going on here. John chapter 19, verses 10 to 12. So he goes before the Pilate before he's crucified. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar, the king. And anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate and Jesus here were having this conversation, and Jesus was trying to tell him, listen, you think you know what you know about power, but you don't. Jesus knew that his destiny was not tied up in what Pilate does or what Caesar feels like and does, but who God is. And Jesus doesn't have a need to defend himself. Even on the cross, when we look at that experience, he submits himself. There's one of the criminals throwing jeers at him from the cross. If you're so powerful, why you don't save yourself? And save us while you're at it, right? Jesus submits and doesn't react in the way that people would expect him to. And so I think about this, that if Jesus could go through that experience of the cross, of death and resurrection, he could do that for us and and over-under-react for us. My goodness, the least we could do is be channels of grace for other people. I mean, just imagine if we committed to over-under-reacting, right? To go above and beyond to not react in the way that we would want to or people would expect us to. In our relationships, we would learn to listen to one another better. We would learn to love one another more deeply. And and it's unexpected because we would listen to our our friends, our neighbors, our our loved ones with the intent not just to respond, but to listen to what they're actually saying. To hear their heart and not just wait for an opportunity to interject, right? And the counterintuitive part of that is that sometimes our relationships are very transactional, We want to have relationship with people so that we can get something out of them. But the counterintuitive part about following Jesus and having relationship with people is that we ought to serve one another. That sometimes we put our own personal agendas and desires aside and say, well, what does this person need from me in this moment? What do these people need from me right now? And the remarkable thing about that is that people will, when they see how we treat them, when they see how we treat others, but they will say that there's something different about this person. And maybe they just might back off you a little bit. Maybe they might give you some space and not be on your case all the time. But they say there's something different about this person. Let me not bother with them as much as I would like to, right? When we even think about leadership, and, and there's something stern within me so much that I keep thinking about. Some of the last few words that Dr. Miles Monroe said about leadership in the country and just thinking about how it just is so pervasive in every aspect of our society, right? That if we were to be good leaders that over-underreacted, that we would make decisions that would create healthy environments for people, right? That the unexpected thing that a leader would do is actually listen to the people who are in their care, listen to their concerns, right? Right? And, and not just push with their agenda and everybody got to fall in line. The, and the counterintuitive thing about that is that we invite them into the process of making things better, that they have this investment, right, in, in what is going on in this environment, whether it's your business or whatever sector that you find yourself in. And the remarkable thing about when you react that way will be that people will be excited to champion the work that you're doing, that The work that they're going to do is not an obligation, but it's an opportunity for them to shine and to help you to shine. What if we, as a society, would over-underreact and we resolve issues proactively before things reach our doorstep, right? The unexpected thing in this is that we get to the root to the problems by doing the deep sociological work and not just looking at the surface issues, and that's counterintuitive because we live in a doggy dog world, right? Everybody got to be for themselves. I can't worry about another person's problems. That's on them. They are the problem. Them Samaritans are over there, let's let them deal with their issues, right? This whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality instead of just saying, well, what does it look like for me to be a person of grace in this space, to, to bring hope and healing to where I find myself? And the remarkable thing about when we react like this is that people will take notes and they will jump in and they say, well, well, where can I help? This is the skill set that I bring to the table. What is it that I can do to improve the situation around us? The last thing I want to think about, which is becoming quite a crisis in our little Bahama land, the way that we react online. And what would it look like for us to over-underreact, to go above and beyond in the way that we respond to things on the Internet? That instead of typing loud and fast and often wrong, right, that we would create a gracious response or how about this, not say anything at all. That works, right? The unexpected thing that we could do is to limit even the amount that we use social media and do we engage in it, right? And, and maybe sometimes if we do engage in it, vet where things are coming from and not hit the forward button on WhatsApp, The counterintuitive part here is that it's expected that we overshare. It's expected that we say things and we disseminate information quickly without understanding what we're reading, right? And to over-engage online, because that's a lot of what these companies want. That's how they make their money, for us to hit that share button, for us to keep watching things over and over again. But the remarkable thing about when we don't engage in these ways, and we are wise and we are smart with the things that we have at our fingertips, when people hear our voice, when we speak on certain things, they know that we are a credible source. <laughs> they know that our response will be measured and it will be one of grace. It will be one that is grounded in truth and love. Our reactions reflect who we believe controls our outcomes, friends. The way that we react shows a lot about who we are and who we believe God is. We overreact because we're convinced that things are just spinning out of control. And I'm preaching to myself here. That we feel like things are even out of our own control, that the way in which we tried to control the world around us, now we're losing it. So we try to hoard as much control as we can. And ironically, in doing so, we give power to other people. We give power to others instead of realizing that God empowers us to shift the atmosphere and the environments that we are in. As Vicki said earlier, this is the Holy Spirit moving. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Friends, our actions rarely tell the whole story. I'm, I'm closing. I'm going to be like Pharaoh and let God's people go today. But our reactions most certainly tell a lot about who we are. And my prayer is that we commit to take a breath before we start to react to things. That This breath that we take is an act of surrender to God and trust that God will guide us in doing and saying the righteous things. That very breath we take, by the way, is the spirit of God moving in us. In scripture, we find these words of Ruach and pneuma means breath and spirit and wind that is the breath of God moving within us and as we breathe in the spirit of God so should we breathe it out for the world that they may come to know God's grace and mercy so may we react in ways that lead us to live the words of the prophet Micah that we may be people who act justly love mercy and walk humbly with our God Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this moment to read your word and to get understanding and to hear something that you would have to say to each one of us. God, I don't know where this message will land today for anyone in this room or those watching online, but God, you know what it is that we need. And so we ask that you would attune our hearts to your spirit, that we may hear what it is that you have for us that we may go into the world and not react as the world wants us to, to not be people quick to speak and slow to listen, but that we may walk in your will and walk in your ways, the way that is love, the way that is full of grace and truth and mercy. Because, God, there is so much arguing and bickering and back and forth in this world, and sometimes we, your people, contribute to that. But, God, we repent of that today the ways in which we have failed to live up to the call that Jesus has in our lives. So God, in the moments where we want to fire off a quick word, in the moments where we want to type something terse to somebody, in the moments in which we want to cut off a relationship because it doesn't fit our agenda, may you, oh God, intervene. Not that we may receive the glory and people may see that we are such good people, but that people may see your light shining through us. That this world that is full of chaos, full of war, full of conflict, will look a little bit more like heaven because we have obeyed the call. Challenge us this week, O oh God, maybe not be hearers of this word, but doers of it. That this world may come to know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.